0: Welcome to Sermon Underwear, a podcast where we look at the stories, situations, and conversations that lead up to the sermons preached here at First Lutheran. This is Pastor Brian. This is Pastor Perry. This is Father Tom. And we are in week three of a four-week series now on faith, hope, love, and joy. So Father Tom has our uh, focus verse for us from First Corinthians.
1: Yes, this is from First Corinthians, the thirteenth verse of the thirteenth chapter. And now, faith, hope, and love abide; these three, and the greatest of these is love.
2: And then I've got uh, one verse from Second Corinthians, chapter five, and it's verse twenty-one. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.
0: And our focus text from the Gospels, from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here, he's getting towards wrapping it up and wants to talk about love. And he says, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect the gospel of the Lord, or the law of the Lord, or maybe a little bit of both. Um, So I I chose this text um, because as we talk about love, you know, it's easy for it to become a warm fuzzy without uh, too much direction and um, can can be easily taken in a number of different directions. And so I think Jesus' words here are, are striking and they kind of arrest my thinking on love and make me think about Loving your enemies, boy, that's pretty countercultural. He says at the beginning, "You have heard it said, um, love your neighbors and hate your your enemies." And there is certainly sort of that kind of air as we go across the Old Testament of um, look out for your own, look out for your own nation, and collectively, um, in a sort of uh, patriotism, we collectively hate and go after other nations. You see that across the Old Testament. So there's uh, some familiarity there, but uh, Jesus. Obviously, it's open to interpreting his Bible here and says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Uh, And I'm kind of wondering if, so I'll start with maybe a lesser known story, but are either of you familiar with the story of Ender's Game, the book or the movie? It was made into a movie a couple of years ago.
1: I I remember it and I remember the, there's a bit of a twist in the ending, but I don't want to, I'll let you spoil it if you're going to spoil it.
0: Uh well, I think I think it's still a good read, even even if this does spoil it a little bit. But uh so this theme of love for the enemy comes up in the book. Um and talking about the only way to overcome the enemy. So it's uh this alien force is invading Earth and they've invaded all the so it's a sci-fi story. Um, if you hadn't caught that from the description already, but they're invading Earth and uh, There's kind of this Earth is finally the last planet to be overtaken. They're getting closer and about to overtake it. Um, But then there's this child prodigy war leader who um, potentially could win them over and and win this war and is very smart. Um, But in his learning more about the enemy, this question comes up or this idea that the only way to defeat the enemy is to know your enemy and even more underlying of that to love your enemy Um, and so it's interesting by the end of the story who comes to love who or perhaps a a bit the same reason i like the story frankenstein it asked the question of um, who's the monster Um, it's an interesting play on alien invasion and who invades who and who ends up uh, showing love to whom in this story so uh, kind of a it's a very interesting story. Um, the second book in the series led me to pursue my call more to it. Um, and it's written by a guy who's part of the, um, um, the Mormons. The, uh,
1: the church of Latter-day Saints.
0: Yes. And so the author Orson, Orson Scott Card is uh, part of that tradition. And so, um, their tradition does include, um, some of our same scripture as well. And so it plays on this idea of, of loving your enemies. Um, so now that I've taken it down that long rabbit hole that uh, is very unfamiliar, the story that I'm thinking about pulling in that is maybe more familiar is Dr. Seuss's Lorac. Why I like that story or how I see that as a sign of, of loving your enemy is uh, it's the this guy, the main character, the, the uh, narrator of the story is talking about how he came to cut down all these trees and yet the future of these trees was placed in his hands or he gets this seed and. He gives it to the one he's telling the story to um, to have the future of these trees as well. And so here it is, the enemy, the one who cut down everything, um, the future or the hope uh, to, to tie to last week or um, this idea of uh, loving the enemy that is put into his hands. He's loved and he says, uh, you know, the, I forget the fancy poetic ending that Dr. Seuss gives it, but essentially it's, um, I love you enough to... Have a place in the future for you and to even to ask you to be a part of that future so that's um a thought that i'm thinking of pulling in as an illustration of of love for your enemies um and i've got more to say but i'd like to hear what you guys think too or what you're thinking about this passage and uh, loving your enemies in this day and age where we are naturally compelled by Facebook and so many other places to love our would-be neighbors and to hate our enemies.
1: The scripture, there's lots of theories about the scripture, but one of the one of the most intriguing ones I've heard is um, about is by a Anglican theologian named David Brown, and he talks about um, trajectories. His big thing is trajectories, and if you look at some of these Old Testament um, some of these Old Testament things, you know, you have heard it said, blah, 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 you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, that was actually a rather progressive uh, policy for the time because there, you know, an eye for an eye is just getting even. But there, the the anthropology indicates that at one point, you know, you had to retaliate even more so. Um, and so the so the scriptures at one point said, you know, don't up the ante, just get even. And then um, the trajectory has a more and more expansive understanding of love. And um, (laughs) I think, um, I think in Jesus's command to love, it is put, I mean, it still pushes against us even to this day. I mean, we are, as, as Brian alluded to, we are conditioned um, by so many forces, Paul might call them powers and principalities um, to not like people who believe a certain thing, sometimes who even look a certain way or believe a certain thing. And the gospel always challenges that. It sort of it it challenges our understanding of what we of what we are. To do and, or what you know, what is a fair expectation? And (laughs) Jesus says, you know, the love that my followers are called to display is not simply a love of getting even, um, but a love like that of God, Uh, a love that is um, given to those who do not deserve it in the traditional sense. And so, um, I, it's, it's, you know, have, I don't know if you've ever proclaimed this particular gospel in a church, but man, all the air goes out of the room when you say, therefore be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And you can hear people go, Oh, (laughs) but that's the love. That's the gauntlet. That's the love gauntlet Jesus throws down, um, uh, is to, is to, Pursue a love or to I don't know if pursue a love, but to um, to I guess someday expect a love in ourselves, that is that of God.
2: One of the the things that uh, that I've been reading lately, and this is um, Brene Brown, and she's talking about at least I believe it was her talking about how when we look at our enemies what we do is we dehumanize them. And so we turn them into animals. We turn them into inanimate objects. We turn them into things that are less than human. And as I look at what we are called to do, uh, that we are called to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, what that challenges us to do is to look at them and discover who they are. And what that then does is it takes away any of that possibility of happening. Um, We can't just categorize them as that thing. We have to categorize them as a human that has value and has worth. And that changes the story completely. And as we look at the dialogue that we have in the world today, uh, we, uh, in most um, conflicted situations, especially those that are hitting Facebook, uh, are dehumanizing on both sides, and and it's really a, a sad thing to look at because um, we all do it, and it's a stark difference of hating or dehumanizing compared to loving and praying.
0: Yeah, that's... See, that, that was way more eloquent than that jumble of uh, science fiction I was trying to throw at you at the beginning, but uh, <laughs> that's uh, the point that he's trying to make there in that story, Ender's Game, is that you may kill this enemy, but you're still going to have an enemy. The only way that an enemy actually truly comes to an end is uh, at least talking about humans or those we want to demonize or you know, to use the fiction story here that we want to label as alien. The only way that enemy goes away is to know them and to love them, at which point, dead or alive, they are no longer an enemy or there's this piece of understanding. The other thing from Brene Brown that you you brought up made me think of too often, the things that we despise or or even go as far as to say we hate that we see in other people, she says, you may find that most often what it is that you think you hate about somebody else is what you really fear or hope is not the problem that you yourself have. You know, oh, I hate when this person does that. And that really has a lot to do with what I'm afraid of. Well, I really hope I'm not like that. <laughs> you know, it's, there's a little bit of our self involved in that, in that hatred as well there. And that's really kind of what, where I was pulling in the second Corinthians piece as well, because there it says, uh, Christ who knew no sin took on sin you know, that, there's the love piece of like, um, essentially, Jesus goes through this whole Sermon on the Mount. And if you've gone through that and you haven't yet ended up uh, having done something or having some piece of your life that sets you at odds with Christ, well, as, as Father Tom pointed out by the end of the sermon, Jesus says, okay, you want to keep dodging. Now I'm going to get my really big dodgeball and you're not going to be <laughs> able to ignore this one be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And inevitably we've all, like you said, you got to let this big sigh and say, okay, there's no dodging that one, you know, and here I am at odds with Christ. And uh, it's it's unfortunate that it's not a, a communion weekend because um, I brought this up several times, but uh, as always in those words of institution, Christ starts off, who does he sit down with but his enemies or his betrayers and says, you know, in the night in which he was betrayed, it was with my enemies that I sat down and to them um, made right things between us, loved them, gave them myself, my perfectness and wholeness um, and exchanged and took on their place. So um, there is this uh, finding of, of one another that's in this, not surrounding ourselves with more voices that say, no, Brian, you're okay. It's it's okay that you're not perfect because look at all these other other things around you, but instead says, uh, I see your imperfection, um, but I never loved you because of your perfection or lack thereof in the first place. You're my own. Um, you know, so that comes about, again, conquering that enemy or defeating that enemy in a, in a different way.
1: I would challenge our listeners to do an enemy audit who are, you know, as we've described enemies in this podcast, who are the people that you identify as enemies? And then, you know, once you've got, you know, once you've got your list pulled out and you're like, yeah, I don't like that person at all, then remember the end of this thing. You know, those are the people you're supposed to love. Um, but uh, but to really take an audit of of your enemies and see uh, whose humanity uh, you've uh, eliminated or degraded, and see how yours has been done the same in the process.
0: Yeah, there is an invitation to compare in a different way here. Uh, what we go into Jesus talking about is this comparison of like, who's like me. And how are we better than them, and therefore we can hate them to um, an invitation to humility. It's, it's interesting that Jesus comes to the close of the Sermon on the Mount with, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Which, when we start sizing ourselves and others up with, we, we all find ourselves on our knees. You know, it, it's interesting, the end of his Sermon on the Mount takes you back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If if you want to get into a comparison, well, we're all spiritually broke and in need of somebody to save us. What's the old saying? The the ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? Something like that. When you think about the list that Father Tom invited you to make about your enemies, uh, do an enemy inventory, what do you have in common with them? that's a mean one that's That's a mean one that's a good no that's a good one but man that's
1: that's like like perry said love is work and that's gonna be some work